0: I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Today we're taking a little break from our Scripture and Science class for an author interview. I'm talking with Mary DeMuth, who wrote Love, Pray, Listen, which is about parenting wayward adult kids with joy. Now, because faith is not genetic, our children get to decide for themselves whether or not they will follow Jesus. Some believe in the home and then stand strong a lifetime. Others have to go over Fool's Hill and, after a period of rebellion, come back to the faith with a powerful testimony. Still others leave and never come back. What's more, you have no idea what's going to be the case with your kids. We parent, we teach, we pray, we love, but God has not given us the right to force our adult kids to believe. How do we deal with this? Well, Mary DeMuth has some answers to encourage you and help you maximize the possibility of them coming back to the faith. Here now is episode 467, Parenting Wayward Adult Children with Mary DeMuth. Welcome to Restitutio, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Finnegan, and today I'm speaking with Mary DeMuth, author of Love, Pray, Listen, published by Bethany House. Welcome to the show, Mary. So glad to have you today.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: This is such an important topic, and it's such a big part of the Christian experience today as a parent. Your book is for parents of adult wayward children. What made you write about this?
1: A long time ago, I was, I guess it was about five or six years ago, I was in a prayer group with a group of women. And there was one particular woman in that group whose children, adult children had been wayward and it had ruined her life. And I kind of made a little note in my head thinking, I just don't want this to happen to me. Um, If my children do happen to be wayward, I want to be able to move forward with joy. And so that was kind of the impetus for the book. And then um, as I began to be a parent of adult kids and whether they're wayward or not, they're making their own choices. And I had to learn what that meant and that I was now in a different stage of parenting. And so just all the wisdom gleaned from going through the hardness of that or the hardship of that. And when I talk to parents that are, have adult kids, and again, like whether they're wayward or not, it's just a different stage of parenting, and there's just a lot of angst. So I wanted to address that.
0: What about your own story? Could you share a little bit about your own experience with your kids?
1: Sure. So I have three adult kids, they all are paying their own bills and are out of the house. So I feel like that's a congratulations. Huge you should get like a <laughs>
0: prize for that.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just a prize in and of itself. It's lovely. <laughs> They're all on different parts of their journey. So one is walking really well with the Lord, and the other two are working on their testimonies. And so it's been a it's been interesting to you know to put it lightly, um, but I have learned quite a bit about how to respond, how to err on the side of love, and how to err on the side of listening rather than pontificating. And uh, one of the things that happened recently that was interesting to me is uh, right when the book was coming out, I was in another state and uh, one of my children called me in crisis and adult children, and I was their first call. And even Mm -hmm. though they're on their own journeys, I feel like that was such an affirmation of how my husband and I have really placed relationship first, even though we have differing opinions and differing praxis and how we're living out our lives. I was the first call. And that was really, I don't know, heartening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do hear horror stories about people who lose all contact with their children because of differences of belief and ideology and stuff. Let's talk about blame. I think a lot of Christ followers with wayward adult children blame themselves. They say, oh, I should have done more of this. I should have done less of that. How would you talk to somebody who is feeling really guilty for not doing or overdoing something?
1: I would just direct them back to the beautiful Garden of Eden and how things started. And we look at the first children <laughs> which was Adam and Eve. And they were adult children, right? And they were adult children who rebelled against a perfect father who Mm. did nothing wrong, who did every single thing correctly. And so if God's children, and if you look at that on a global scale, billions of people have rebelled against a holy God who loved them perfectly. So what I say is you're in good hands. He understands mm-hmm. and it's fruitless to begin to, I mean, there, there are things you can do. Like if there are things that you can apologize for, absolutely do that Err on the side of apology. But when you find yourself spiraling back around in, a, in kind of a toilet bowl of spiral, it's better to remember that the Lord had wayward adult children, too. And he can come alongside you and help you in that grief. And he can help you just kind of realize that you could have done everything perfectly. And you gave birth to a bunch of sinners who have their own will. And God loves them so much. He gave them the ability to choose things. And so they're just exercising their free will. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does, that's just so hard. I think many of us, if we had the choice, would want to make faith genetic and mm-hmm. something you just pass oh, on. Yeah. Right. And it's just so incredible that God didn't do that. And also terrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. it's so, super terrifying.
0: Um, you yeah. talk about joy throughout the struggle how can parents possibly have joy while their children are rejecting God and embracing our culture's hostile attitude toward the Bible and biblical Christianity?
1: It's a great question. Um, First of all, I would say don't manufacture joy in your own Mm -hmm. way, but trust that God will bring it and also choose to grieve. I think sometimes people uh, shortchange their joy because they have not a written a lament psalm about their kids. They haven't walked through the stages of grief. You can't really get to the joy part until you do the grief part. And then I would say I, the things that have helped me is one, Jesus loves my adult children more than I ever will, and he knows how to reach them better than I ever could. And so there's a lot of surrender and peace and joy that comes from that. And then the second thing I would say is the enemy is against all of us, right? And he's definitely against our adult children who are going into new situations and hopefully, you know, maybe someday turning the the world upside down with the kingdom. So there's going to be all of these like things coming at them. And in light of that, we have to remember that we're all we we can give ourselves if we can give ourselves grace for what we did in our 20s yes <laughs> and realize that those kids are still developing then we can offer them the same kind of grace and that helps as well as the other oh the other thing i was going to say is that if the enemy takes out your kids so to speak or if he's messing with them He gets two victories if he takes you out as well and if he sidelines you. And so that second victory, I'm just not going to let that happen because I don't want him to have two victories. And I'm going to get on my knees about that first problem for sure. And I'm going to fight and I'm going to pray. But if he takes me down, I'm in my most, this is where I want to, you know, camp. I'm in my most fruitful years of ministry right now, but if I'm constantly being Burdened and in pain over my adult kids' choices, then it could sideline me from the kingdom work that God has for me.
0: Very well said. Yeah, joy is so important, don't you think, for endurance. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard to just press on, just gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to worship the Lord. <laughs> but uh, if there is genuine joy there, rooted in something other than circumstance, then we can definitely. Uh, we can definitely persevere. That really struck me in the book, the whole part about joy, just even like the thought of having joy, even while something, I mean, like I have uh, children, I have four children, all boys. And uh, they're uh, my oldest is a junior in high school. He's 16. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a driver's license and, um, you know, he drives <laughs> around in a pickup truck. And my uh, next son is 14. And, you know, he's got a little mustache and yeah, you know, it's just
1: <laughs> so weird, isn't it? An
0: interesting part of life, right? And uh, you know, of course, I'm like equal parts, terrified and anticipating what they're going to do once they're out of the house and how they're going to live and what choices they're gonna make. They toe the line, more or less. They push boundaries, but they toe the line while they're while they're in our house, my wife and my my house. And for me too, it's a little amplified because I'm a pastor. So yeah. there's like a little extra pressure on them <laughs> yeah, to, uh, sure. to not be too crazy, which, uh, for myself as a, a young person, I had that cause my dad was a pastor and I just mm. went crazy. As soon as I got out of the house, I was out of the house at 17. went to a state school here in New York and just went bananas and crash and burned. Boy, I hope my kids don't do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I but, know because the crash is hard and the burn is hard. Oh, and yeah, you, just, it hurts. you love your kids yeah. and you don't want them to do the stupid things you did, and yeah. sometimes and they the, do.
0: <laughs> and it's it's just like part of your own heart. You know your your children. Mm-hmm. You know how how much uh, their actions can affect me. Or if somebody criticizes my, my children at, at really any age, I, I just want to mm-hmm. rip their heads off. And I'm not a yeah. violent person normally. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is incredible to think that we could have joy even while our kids are in a state of rebellion or in a state mm-hmm. of defiance mm-hmm. towards the one we love above all else. So I really appreciated that insight. Uh, Let's talk about love, because let's face it, the book is more about love than uh, anything. I mean, it's called Love, Pray, Listen, but love is really the main meat of the book. Just give us some practical ways. I'm not don't give away the whole book, obviously, but like just a a few little points of maybe some like non-obvious ways or lesser uh, realized ways of how can we love our wayward adult children in a biblically ineffective way?
1: Well, as I prayed about this book, the Lord was so kind to drop into my head, 1 Corinthians 13, the love is patient, love is kind passage. And so each Chapter is an exegesis of those little phraseologies of what love is. And there was so much richness in just studying such a small passage, which is typically used for marriages, right? Yeah. But this oh, is- well.
0: guilty as charged. I've done it.
1: <laughs> I mean, Paul wrote this to the church, he wrote it for the to the Corinthian church. <laughs> and uh, you know, they had all sorts of relational issues, as we know, and so you know, this was written for them. So I felt like that was gonna be a, a really good passage. One of the things I think, you know, you're asking about kind of quirky or interesting ways to love yeah. people. And that is uh, one of the things I've learned is part of that is listening and really hearing the hearts of my kids. And so I am a really, really good gift giver. And so when I hear my kids say, Oh, that's a really cool item, or I really could use this or, or even if they don't say it and I just can see it like on their Instagram feed or something, I pay attention to the things that they want and need. And I fill those needs, not always, but sometimes as a surprise and, and we'll send it like not on their birthday, not on Christmas, not on whatever. Ah. Um, So that's a really practical way to show your kids that you're paying attention and that you really understand their heart and what they're looking for.
0: Yeah, I love that one. That's that's so cool, because, you know, the, the, the assumption is in our time that there are two sides and either you're for or against either you are um, a Republican or a Democrat, either you are for this cause or against this cause, like, say, for example, Black Lives Matter. Uh, or, or what, what have you. And so we live in such an entrenched and polarized time that there's really not too much space for love towards people that aren't in your camp. Uh, So I think that is a really powerful way to, to sort of like flip the script or, or to defy that narrative that says we are all broken into a polarized group. Have you seen that a lot in your own experience and working with others? (laughs)
1: Well, we have the privilege of my husband and I and our kids were church planters to, in France in the mid 2000s. And so we had the opportunity to look at how another culture handles things like that. And it really informed things for us. So for instance, when we would sit around a French dinner table with friends, we would have arguments. And as an American, I was freaked out, like, oh my gosh, they all hate each other. And yet we would end the conversation and kiss each other's cheeks. <laughs> so it was like, wait a minute. And the French people would be so excited about argumentation that they would take the opposite side of their opinion just for fun. And that's when I realized that Americans are really about winners and losers. Mm. You're either a winner or you're a loser. And therefore, if someone has a different opinion from you, they're bad and you're good. And I realized that Around those tables, I learned so much about discourse and how important it was to have these intellectual conversations that were so different and so enlightening and so helpful and not to have straw man arguments. And so one of the things I think my kids took away from that is that we can have civil discourse about controversial issues and still walk away as friends, but that is what's not happening in our culture today. And we're seeing this huge gap between parents of 20 and 30 somethings, especially in the political realm where it's either one way or the other. And if you're the other, then you're the loser or the, you know, the apostate or however you're going to say that. And therefore, because of that, it causes these rifts and it does cause people to cancel each other out, whether it be the parents canceling the kids or the kids canceling the parents. I would say one of the things I love about my family and a table spirituality is that we don't agree about everything. And that's the cool part about it. And when we're talking about difficult issues, I can always, if I dig down deep enough and listen hard enough, I can always find common ground, but we've become a lazy society that does not find common ground anymore.
0: It's tough because uh, everyone is so triggered. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the word for it. They're so quick to rush to a, a really over the top emotional response when somebody comes in with a position that they don't hold. And, you know, me being a pastor, uh, I'm trying to hold together a congregation of oh my Republicans and Democrats and <laughs> yeah. apolitical people. We've got a couple of libertarians, and I think there might even might be an anarchist in the group, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> Relentlessly saying to them, "Look, whatever your politics are, you're welcome here because Christ comes first, yeah. and that's really what's what's preeminent." But when you're dealing with wayward children who aren't embracing Christ, uh, you can't say that. So, how how maybe you could share like a one one example of a time where you were able to find common ground with somebody who was adopting a view that you don't hold.
1: Yeah. And it's, it sounds very controversial, but the way that we handled it, uh, not that we're awesome or anything, but just the way we handled it, I think it worked out well. Where some of my kids would have different opinions about the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Okay. But, you know, I'm one way and there may be another. And as we continued the conversation, I was able to see that what their heart was, was to take care of people at the very bottom of, you know, the arguments that, we could certainly agree that we need to do better for single mothers. We could certainly agree that it is a difficult world out there when you have no economic advantages and you're, you're, you suddenly find yourself pregnant. And that's just an example of finding some common ground of, yes, I can absolutely get on board with that. That's an important thing. And we have not done a good job of that.
0: Yeah. I think of, uh, compassion, as being our co I mean I don't know this is just a pet theory (laughs) but uh that compassion is really such a driving force in our culture today and what people do with it is instead of balancing that with with truth there's just like no this person is suffering and they're in a minority or they're they have a disadvantage of some sort therefore I have to do whatever I can to alleviate their suffering and so I think the motive is actually really godly, uh, mm-hmm. just a desire to alleviate somebody's suffering, but um, at all costs, regardless of the consequences down the road, or if it's really going to help them, even in the moment, to to affirm or to support what whatever it is that's causing them struggle. So I definitely hear what you're saying. And I and I, I really try to do that. I try to I try to listen and, and exegete. The, the cultural narrative, mm-hmm. not to fight it. Well, maybe a little to fight it, but sure. uh, to really understand what's the motive driving it. Because more often than not, it's, it's, it's going to be something that's compatible with the Christian worldview. Uh, so I really appreciate that example.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's such a, it's so important to have those kinds of conversations and not, and to just refrain from pontificating, but just, it's a very difficult discipline to listen. And I think that we have failed the nuance test in the past 10 years. We can't have nuance. It's either black or white. And I mean, even in the biblical narrative, there is nuance. You look at the quartet of the vulnerable in the Old Testament and people, uh, the necessity for people to take care of them, but it doesn't always take on the same Pathway to take care of those people. There's so much nuance in all of it. And so we have to be careful not to just be like, you are bad because you have that opinion. And I am good and virtuous because I have my opinion. And of course, if the gospel is above all, yeah, yeah. that's the most important thing. But then I look at Jesus and I'm like, okay, you know, you mentioned joy er- earlier. It says, for the joy set before him.
0: He endured, endured the cross,
1: cross despising yeah. it's shame. And so mm-hmm. he had that joy in front of him. and I think we if we can hold that in front of us while we're loving our kids, it may be a little it may be helpful.
0: Yeah. yeah, I, I think what's so great about your approach here is that you're you're looking at, you know if I could compare two two ways to like get strong. One is to eat your vegetables and avoid really bad foods. And the other is to just take steroids, right? (laughs) So uh, I I think you're going with the vegetables. You're going with the long game where over years of interacting with your children as peers, really, as, as, Mm -hmm. as adults, rather than as little kids that don't know anything, you're able to establish rapport, establish a record of listening to them. And they already know what you believe, right? I mean, yeah, there's, there's yeah. no ambiguity there. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, mom's really on the fence about Christianity. No, like you're you're solid, right? <laughs> they know. Right? <laughs> they know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I think over time, people we all have situations. We all suffer. We all struggle. We go through pain. We lose our jobs. We get dumped. We get a bad diagnosis. Whatever. Like different things happen in life. I, I got a ticket yesterday. I haven't I haven't gotten pulled over mm. in over a decade. And I was just rushing. And this is so embarrassing because I was rushing to get back to the church. And, um,
1: (laughs) but officer, I'm on my way to church. I'm the pastor.
0: (laughs) I know it's so funny. And, uh, he did, he took pity on my soul. He really did. God bless him. He gave me, uh, like a fake ticket that he, it's like a warning ticket that if that doesn't have any like, uh, cost associated Mm -hmm. with it, I don't have to go to court. So uh, I did appreciate that. Shout out to Officer Donnelly, uh, who's probably not going <laughs> to exactly. listen to this. But uh, you know, it, it is it is certainly the case that uh, we do go through situations in life and struggles. And, you know, having laid those pathways, those com- established that communication over so many years, they're going to turn to you. Like you already said, like you're their first call. Mm-hmm. So uh if something's gonna happen, not that faith is genetic, but if something is gonna happen, if their if their choice, if God works in their heart and they, you know, because I'm a synergist, so I believe they have to decide as well, then guess what? It's it's gonna be right there. But you know, you're you're also respecting their agency. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of parents who say, they made a confession when they were 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they might be a little wayward, but it's just a matter of time. You know, it's like, they're not taking seriously what the kid's point of view really is. Now they're like Mm -hmm. pigeonholing them into like the 12 year old person who like went forward after Mm a really good, Mm -hmm. like Christian worship song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to sound too cynical. Some of those no. are really genuine, and they last a lifetime. But, yes.
1: <laughs> but uh, I I resonate with it. That's so why I'm laughing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about prayer. You're such a prayer uh, specialist. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, <laughs> you know, you really care about prayer. You have a daily podcast, right, on prayer mm-hmm. and uh, just praying verse by verse through the Bible. Talk about prayer as it relates to our wayward children. How do we do it? What works? What doesn't?
1: Yeah. One of the things I I talk about in the book is that we can tend to a little bit gossip about our kids to our friends when we're frustrated, which in some ways processing is great. But what I try to explain is that if you've got those kind of gossipy things you want to say, why don't you get on your knees and tell the Lord all of your anguish about it first? And I think that's a better way to approach it. Like he loves us and he knows what's already on our hearts. Of course, we know all these arguments about prayer. Well, why even pray if he already knows? But he is a prayer's relationship. And so he knows we have all these tangled emotions in our heart. It's better for us to go to him first with them instead of only processing externally. And I think for me, another thing that I do that's kind of prayer, I don't know if you call it prayer, getting back to worship songs, but... When I'm singing a worship song and it's somehow applicable to my kids, I stick their names in there and I sing those (laughs) prayers and they're, you know, they're not standing next to me. So they don't know. My husband's like, you're not really singing those words. I'm like, yeah, I'm singing our kids into there because I do believe there's power in worship. And then in just this like declaration of belief, God, you have them. They can know you again. I have faith that you can do that. I recently had a prayer that I've been praying for forty years, which I had given up on almost. Like, oh Lord, that person will never turn. It's never going to happen. Forty years, wow. Forty years of prayer, and I get a call. Um, Is my mom? So I get a call from her in the spring. I mean, she's been like the biggest. How would you say it? Uh, persecutor of my faith of anyone in my life. Like very anti-Christian calls me this year and says, Oh, she has this like chatty, 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 chatty. And at the very end, Oh, by the way, I'm going to church. I was like, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> just slipped it right in there.
1: Yeah. And then I, I didn't have anything to say. I was like, what? And uh, I had to do a second phone call because I was so shocked, but that was a, fo- I mean, I, and I did not think God was going to answer that. I, I prayed that I would have faith that he could, but I was just, you know, when you see a hardened heart, it's like, wow, it's just so discouraging, but just parents don't give up. Keep praying. Those prayers matter. And the Lord hears them. His timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways, but his timing is perfect. And he is doing good things. We just can't see it. And that's one of the things I think prayer does. So when I'm talking to parents who are stressed, I say, I think what's happened is you have placed this expectation in front of you, like it's in front of you. And because you know you wanted to have like a compound with all your kids living there and all your grandkids there right, right. every, every christmas is going to be a joyful you know jubilant experience and when that doesn't work out and that fantasy not... doesn't happen yeah <laughs> and, and it most likely won't uh if you have that there in front of you you will never see the little nuanced ways that the lord is going to answer your those prayers. And so once I got rid of that expectation and said, Lord, I'm just going to, I'm going to find you in the middle of this. I see all these amazing things that God is doing in maybe small ways that I would not have seen had I just been sad about the expectation not being met.
0: Yeah. Expectations are huge. It's hard not to set expectations based on our own experience when we were kids or uh, what we imagine the Christian household to look like. I don't know if you ever read uh, any Rosaria Butterfield. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with her? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes. The Gospel Comes with the House Key. She tells a whole story yes. about her own mother.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, which you just reminded me of. I'm like, yeah, that's like Rosaria Butterfield.
1: Mm-hmm. In fact, someone <laughs> and, sent me that. They're like, you should read this passage because it sounds just like what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, such a such a powerful uh, book that she wrote as well. So, um, the long game, mm. consistency, perseverance, love. Listening, prayer, and patience. Talk 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 to about patience. That is not a virtue that I am uh, excited to pursue. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's important, but I'm not like looking rather, forward to it,
1: right? I, yeah, that's the American side of us. I learned so much living overseas that I was like, it was an idol, this demand of everything being convenient Mm -hmm. and right when I want it. And so it doesn't serve us very well as Christians because there's long suffering. That's one of the fruits of the spirit. And love is patient. It is supposed to be patient. Yes, it is. But one of the things that you mentioned the word hospitality when you're talking about Rosaria's book, I think that's the key that will help us to be patient is to live in an attitude of hospitality. And one of the things that's really helped me when I'm impatient is to pretend that my children are neighbors instead of my children. And when I think of them that way, how would I react to my like unsaved neighbor? Well, I if they were sad, I would bring them cookies. If they needed their dogs, I would do that. I wouldn't, you know, try to push my political opinions on them. Wouldn't lecture them for an hour. (laughs) No, like you idiot. Why are you doing that? None of those things. Like I would be really patient with them and I would be really, you know, listening and all those kinds of things. And that has really helped me to kind of exercise patience because I see them in a different way without all the baggage of, well, I raised you and I changed your diaper and you should you, know better. And,
0: and you ungrateful little twerp. You <laughs> yeah, <know. laughs>
1: yeah. So, but you won't say that to a neighbor. Like no. I've been your neighbor for these many years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Just a little shift of mm-hmm. where you're, where you're seeing them from or your perspective. And it really does open up a lot more, positive Christian behavior that they can receive. And really that's the key is that they need to be able to receive the love. You can, you can have love in your heart, but if it comes across as a 45 minute lecture on why your Mm -hmm. political views are more correct, Mm. was that message received? Uh, No, it was probably received as arrogance because you just think you know more Mm -hmm. or as judgment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the big issue, the scenario where a parent, has a child who now identifies as LGBT or uh, any other of the letters that follow those letters, the difficulties of, do I just loosen up on my views a little Mm -hmm. bit uh, so that I can have a good relationship or do I double down and tell them they're going to hell and tell them that this is just willful disobedience or like talk to us a little bit about navigating that kind of scenario.
1: I do believe there's a pathway through the middle of that. And uh, in the book, I tell the story of a family whose child had come out as gay, you know, did not navigate it perfectly like any family would not. There are some minefields there for sure. But what they did was they went through the Bible a few more times (laughs) and couldn't come to an affirming conclusion. And that's their right. So they definitely did not feel like this was a right choice for their child. But all of their friends... Had kind of decided it's fine. And so they felt really, really alone. They felt like there was just two choices. There was fully affirming, or I hate everything about you and your choices. And so the family went down the middle. They did let the child know, which the child already knew, what they felt, and left it at that. And then prayed and prayed and loved and prayed and prayed and prayed and loved and listened. And they found that if they pursued relationship and it doesn't always happen this way. So this isn't like a universal truth, but in their particular situation, they found that they maintained the relationship with their child while still holding on to what they felt was a biblical ethic of sex. Mm-hmm. I think, it, I think we need to tell people that like, I think we're, we're told as parents that you cannot, you're not loving if you're not affirming. But actually, one of the things I talk about in the book is that truth and grace hold hands, mm-hmm. and so it you you can tell the truth, you do it in a nuanced, sweet way, um, and you don't over over say it over and over and over again because your kids have been raised by you; they know what you feel. But you do. There are times where you speak the truth and love, just like Jesus did. He was very pointed to specific people. And he was love personified.
0: Yeah. You just reminded me of this uh, quote on page 18 Grace without truth creates license. Truth without grace creates legalism. But there's a third way holding the tension of both grace and truth grace for a sin broken humanity and corrective truth for a humanity prone to stray. This is about the hardest thing to do. Yeah. The easiest thing to do, most parents emotionally want to do this is just say, all right, well, the Bible was written in an old time in a different culture where they didn't have monogamous same-sex marriages. So, the, you know, this is just like uh, head coverings for women during prayer in first Corinthians 11. This is just a cultural thing. We're just going to accept it and find a church. And, you know, I, I, I live and minister up here in New York uh, about three hours North of the city. And like many, many options are there for people mm-hmm. who are in that camp, you know, with rainbow signs and everything mm-hmm. out. Even the Jewish synagogues have rainbow signs up mm-hmm. by me. And, you know, their Bible is not at all ambiguous on this. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, if you go that route, you really do put yourself in a situation where you are separating yourself from the Bible and you're separating yourself from historic Christian Christian belief about this issue. And over time, I think there are major consequences for you on that, not the least of which telling your child that they're okay in a sinful lifestyle, if in fact they're in a sinful lifestyle. What's really helped me, Mary, is looking at some of these examples, and there's a whole collection of books now that are out and and YouTube videos and whatnot, of same-sex attracted Christians who choose To be single for Christ, you know there there are some stories here and there of miraculous transformation to be attracted to the opposite sex, but those are you know a a, a small percentage, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I think more often uh, for ladies than for men, whatever that means. I would say that just hearing the stories. Cause like this postmodern society we live in is so obsessed with the narrative and the personal yeah. experience, like just hearing the story of a David Bennett or a Beckett mm-hmm. cook or Sam Albury or Rosario Butterfield, like these different people that have experienced God in such profound ways that they say, you know what, if God told me to stand on one leg for the rest of my life and then I would be saved, I would do it because salvation is that good. Mm-hmm. Like not engaging in sex with the op or with the same sex. I can do that, you know, and the, and, and, the, and they're claiming their, their truth <laughs> is that they're satisfied.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, my heart goes out to people in this situation. Have you had a, a number of people reach out to you in this kind of category as you've been playing a mentor role mm-hmm. or a coaching role? how has it gone? Have you, you have any success stories or, I mean, what does success even look like in this kind of a situation?
1: I think success looks like, first of all, talking about it out loud. I think a lot of families just are shameful about it. They're just feeling so shame and they feel like they're the only family that's dealing with this. So just me listening is super important and validating their experience, but The cautionary tale in that, and you've hinted at it, um, is that when we place ourselves over the Bible and our exegesis is only from our hearts and we don't let the Bible interpret itself, then we become kind of the center of everything. Mm -hmm. And then we forget that there's a cross to bear. And so maybe our cross to bear is to have joy and satisfaction in Jesus, even if our kids are walking in paths we never would have chosen. Mm-hmm. It's the same, too, though I think we, we kind of overemphasized this particular sin, because it should feel the same if your child comes to you and says, I love my girlfriend, and I'm going to, you know, shack mm-hmm. up with her before marriage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It should be the same Especially if they say they're a Christ follower, it should be the same anguish. But for whatever reason, there's a different anguish that comes when someone says, I'm same sex attracted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having community and talking it out and praying together and also giving parents permission to look at the Orthodox Christian faith and how it has traditionally interpreted these scriptures for years and years and centuries mm-hmm. is important. Sadly, What I've seen, and I don't know if you've seen this in your pastoral role, is that I see that that's kind of a linchpin issue. And so if you throw out um, one way of exegesis of this particular issue, what I have seen, at least in my sphere of like leaders and speakers, and like in my sphere of writers, I've seen the slippery slope happen. Yep, right where down it's into just, it becomes deconstruction into nothingness. Mm-hmm. And progressive
0: hum- Christianity, right down until no Christianity. There's no
1: Christianity yeah. more. It's this humanism, it's mm-hmm. very clearly humanism, like the yeah. human is the center of the world. And my happiness is the most important thing. And I would argue that Christianity has never been about my happiness, it's been yeah. about the cross of Christ. Bonhoeffer says if christ bids a man he bids him come and die so that's yeah. you know that's not very convenient it's not very yeah. doesn't feel it's not gonna you're not gonna cross stitch it on a pillow it is not <laughs> it's not going on fun. the refrigerator <laughs> no <laughs> so um but that's the truth and i think we have really watered down the gospel to the extent that you can't even tell the difference between the gospel and the culture around us
0: it's hard to have a serious faith if I'm the object of that faith or my happiness. And I I would argue that happiness, although you think it would make you happy to like solely focus on your own happiness at all times, I I think it's actually a cruel idol, happiness. It actually sets you up for more heartache and more misery, anxiety, and depression Mm -hmm. pursuing your own happiness than if you pursue God in your life and loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. I think happiness is gonna be found Always as a byproduct and not as like the direct focus. And that's a little paradoxical. Same thing with marriage. You know, like mm-hmm. if, if you say, well, this person exists to bring me satisfaction, you're going to have less satisfaction than if you say, I'm in this marriage to bring them satisfaction, to show mm-hmm. them love. You'll actually be more satisfied. <laughs> it's one of those things. Well, we, we're uh, coming to the end of our time here, but I just want to ask you about a person like me who's still got the kids in the home. <laughs> and uh so what what if any practical things can we do to provide less of this waywardness <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what would you recommend
1: i would say continue those great conversations and be an amazing listener and you know as you're working your way out of a job because that's your job as a parent you start with high control and you it's a the series of letting go that Letting them have real world consequences to their actions when they start reaching 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, Like if your son got a traffic ticket and not bailing him out of that, or you could say, well, I just got one too. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, you know, talking through and just having building on that relationship and constantly reaffirming your love for them. And I think what parents get in trouble, where they get in trouble is if they're kind of erring on the side of maybe Christian nationalism, or they're kind of they've mixed politics with religion. Mm -hmm. That's where things get really wonky, because the next generation is political for sure. But they're not necessarily marrying those two. And if we say you have to have this political feeling about life in order to be a Christ follower, you're setting them up to deconstruct. And so we have to be really careful about our political language, and be really open to hearing from our kids. Who knows? You might even learn something.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really great advice. Uh, where can people go to learn more about you and talk a little bit about your podcast? And I guess you wrote what forty books. You're just this
1: is number forty six. So forty six. My way to fifty.
0: <laughs> right. So, uh, how can people hear more about you?
1: They can go to MaryDemuth.com. And then I also have um, at MaryDemuth.com slash LPL for Love, Pray, Listen, I have a whole year of prayers that you can put your kids' names into to pray every week for a year. Uh, I have the pray every day dot show, which is where I pray you through the Bible verse by verse every single day of the year. So if you feel like no one's praying for you, I am praying for you. And, uh, it's all about scripture and prayer. It's very simple, five minutes long and the book is available wherever books are sold.
0: All right. And once again, the book is, uh, love pray, listen, and, uh, thank you for your time today, Mary, for joining me and for the work you're doing.
1: Thanks. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Well, that brings this episode to a close. What did you think? Come on over to restitudio.org and find episode 467, Parenting Wayward Adult Children, and leave your comments and questions there. would love to hear from you. I know this is an incredibly sensitive and important subject, and uh, especially those of you who have success stories. would love to hear an encouraging word uh, and what you did, practically speaking, to... Uh, facilitate or encourage your children to ultimately accept the faith and live for God. For next week, I've got another author interview I wanted to play out for you with the renowned New Testament scholar and historical Jesus scholar, Dale Allison. He's written an intriguing book on encountering mystery and his own personal experiences of the divine and uh, I'll be able to explain a little better next week why that is so interesting in the case of him and his background and the constraints of the academy in which he operates. But rest assured, it will be a fascinating interview. Uh, So stay tuned for that next week, and then hopefully we'll be able to get back before long, into our Scripture and Science class and consider, we've got a series of three episodes on the question of evolution and what are the pros, what are the cons, can it work together with the Bible, what are the problems with that. Will and I also have an idea on a follow-up interview with someone that could be a great conversation partner. I'll I'll let you, I I don't want to say anything else because uh, this is not yet confirmed, but uh, this is something we're definitely working on. Take a look at our YouTube channel to see this interview I did today. The fully unedited, uncut version is there, as well as the conversation I had with our class teacher, Will Barlow, on fine-tuning and just asking him some questions and giving him some challenges to see how he responds. So take a look at that. If you haven't, that's not on the podcast. It's only on YouTube. If you'd like to support Restitudio, you can do that at restitutio.org. It's like the word restitution with no N. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.